much of your income is set aside for your rent or mortgage? I mean, generally speaking, if you have to put aside more than a third, you're in housing stress. Now, imagine if 60 or even 80% of your earnings went to keeping a roof over your head. What are your options? I mean, there are increasing reports of working families now resorting to couch surfing or living in cars across Australia. Uh, that's just one of the challenges discussed today at a Senate a reference committee inquiry into the extent and nature of poverty in Australia. The hearing was held in the New South Wales Northern Rivers town of Lismore, which was devastated by floods nearly a year ago, which community advocates say only exacerbated existing problems. Natalie Meyer is, well, she attended today's inquiry. She also made a submission. She's a member of the Consortium of Neighbourhood Centres Far North Coast. Welcome to you, Natalie. Uh, hello, Andy. Thanks for having me. What's the most common story you're hearing from locals on the ground? I mean, surely uh, insurance must have been the first headache if people had it, dealing with the insurance company. But then there are those secondary kinds of issues. What's keeping people up at night? Oh, look, before the floods even happened, we had a housing catastrophe here. Uh, we already had large numbers of people unable to afford rent, unable to have secure housing, already living in cars, already living by rivers, creeks and in, in tents, um, you know, trying to live all over the place, trying to find somewhere that they could sleep at night, often being moved on several times a night. Um so that was even before the floods, and these were. So then we have an additional layer of people that were actual homeowners that are also now dis, dislocated or dis. Uh, uh, um, I've lost the word, but um, also now displaced is the word of the world yeah. um, from their homes. Um, and so they, you know, many of them they can't get back into their houses. They're just not livable. They're grappling with insurance issues. They're grappling with mortgages that they're paying for houses they can't even live in. Um, there's no other housing for them to to access. Um, they don't have the money to pay six hundred dollars a week rent when they're already paying down mortgages for houses they can't live in. And this is um, not not just a problem for uh, you know the marginalized or disadvantaged in your community. It's a problem for the entire community. It, you know, it, certainly if we don't address essential workers as well and volunteers, they're sort of excluded from some of these metrics, aren't they? Well, I mean, you know, at a ground level, obviously, it's sort of tearing communities apart. And this is not just in flood-affected communities. I think this is across the board that, you know, we're driving out diversity. We're driving out young people because they've got nowhere to live. We're driving out um, a whole range of people on different income levels because they can't afford the housing. Um, I don't know where all these people are supposed to go. And... You know, we don't have, there's not enough housing for people that actually provide the services and, you know, staff the shops and, you know, we can't even get GPs because they can't find anywhere to live. Um, like the problem is massive and it's Australia-wide and it's affecting the entire Australian economy and every Australia in the, Australia in the country. So there's a whole bunch of people out there thinking this is not their problem it's all of our problem and we all need to work together to solve this because basically our social very fabric of society is unravelling before our very eyes. Uh, we can't have whole 
communities where the only people who can afford to live there are retired people because who's going to service the super? Who's going to work in the supermarket? Who's going to work in the chemist? Who's going to work uh, anywhere, let alone in community services? So um, it's it's such a bad problem um, and I can't believe it's been allowed to get this this bad. And then when we have the floods on top of all of that, well, then that just only exacerbates it to a whole new level. But so, this is a problem across the entire country and the entire everyone in Australia needs to get their head around this problem and understand that we need some serious investment in this problem. Um, none of that investment would be wasted. It's not like it just goes off into outer space or offshore or something. Every cent that's invested on on this problem goes straight back into local economies. Um, so this is uh, precisely why the federal government inquiry is looking into the extent of poverty in Australia in East Lismore today. And reading yep. your submission uh, on some of the solutions that you've proposed, it sort of reads like a list of what many in the social services sector uh, and not-for-profit sector have been calling for for a long time. Things like rent caps, things like um, you know an axing of negative gearing, uh, what 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 ideas on this list do you think would be the most uh, kind of impactful for people in your community? Well, I think it's a multi-pronged problem. We need to come at it from a number of directions. I mean, the main, the overarching problem we have is this ideology that the primary purpose of housing is as some kind of trading commodity uh, that people can make money out of instead of understanding that its primary purpose is to provide shelter. Um, food, shelter, food and shelter and water are the three most basic needs of human beings. If we can't provide shelter, it's a pretty crappy society that we're in if people are expected to live without shelter or that they have to make choices between shelter and food. So I think that the problem needs to be tackled not only you know, at a at a sort of you know sort of various economic measures level, but at a fundamental ideological level, um, we as Australians need to get our heads around that it's just not acceptable to treat housing primarily as a commodity rather than treating it primarily as shelter. Natalie, I do so, want to get into more of the specifics of the recommendations that you've uh, submitted. For example, uh, how would a, a rental cap uh, work? How how would a, a a lease cap work in terms of how many times a landlord can impose a short-term lease on a tenant? Well, I think the short-term lease thing is something that could be addressed at a, more easily. Uh, at the present time, there's just a lot of incentives for landlords to just keep rolling people over on short-term leases so that every time the lease expires, they can jack the rent up. Um, and, you know, the two problems with that is obviously it pushes people out of affordability, but the other problem is that there's just no housing security. I mean, there's people that are moving, having to move house two or three times a year. I don't understand how they're supposed to contribute meaningfully to society when they're spending their entire time packing up and moving house, trying to find somewhere else to go. It just dominates their entire existence. But I think one of the easier things to do would be to increase the level of income support. Um, would would that include, I mean, on your list, you've included a living wage to be considered as a policy option. Some jurisdictions have tinkered with this concept. Which yeah. level of government would are you re requesting that of? Obviously the federal. 
Well, that would be a federal thing and it's probably way too radical for the federal government. But in the interim, as an interim measure, what they could do is increase income support. I mean, what we saw during COVID when the income support payments were increased um, was that there was a radical reduction in demand for our services because people could pay the rent. People could afford to put food on the table. They didn't need to rely on coming to see us every day of the week to get extra food so they could keep feeding their families. Um, so it it just seems like a really easy measure to take uh, to alleviate some of this immediate stress that people are under. I, I don't mean but, to be c- cynical, but this is not the first nor will it be the last time a federal inquiry looks into poverty uh, in Australia. And many of the suggestions has, have been mooted in one form or of another federally for some time. So how, how are you confident that this federal inquiry will sort of satisfy the long-term reforms to help your community recover? Uh, I can't say that I am confident, I've been in my job 23 years and I've seen this this is this debate's been on the table ever since I've been working, um, and not a lot has changed. It's just got worse and worse over time. So, I mean, to say I'm confident is overstating it. But I think, I think what needs to happen is that the Australian people as a whole really need to get behind this issue and get their heads around how significant the impact is on all of us, not just a small group of people who are homeless. Um, and that we all together need to work together to solve the problem if we want to live in a civilised society. I think you're right, if Natalie. Put- I think there's, uh, there, there might be a silver lining here and the lessons that can be hopefully absorbed with your community's challenges can be applied across the board, especially as we hit economic headwinds. Uh, we'll have to leave it there. Natalie Meyer is the member of uh, the Consortium of Neighbourhood Centres Far North Coast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Andy.